Hello, and welcome to Season 4 of For the Love of Duluth podcast. My name is Tom Jamison. I am a former lawyer who moved to Duluth about seven years ago after I bought a business here called Lake Superior Medical Equipment, hanging up my lawyer hat after 25 years. Joining me as co-host of this podcast is a lifelong Duluthian, a registered nurse, and the marketing director for Lake Superior Medical Equipment, Yvonne Myers. So why did we start a podcast called For the Love of Duluth? Because we love this town and the interesting people, places, and experiences that we continue to discover here. If you already live in Duluth, we hope this podcast will teach you things you never knew before about the place we call home. If you are planning to visit Duluth, we hope this podcast can act as a tour guide of sorts, giving you an inside look at the remarkable people, places, and things that make up our unique city. Duluth is a star of the show, and our guests help it shine even brighter. We hope you love this podcast as much as we love the city it's named for. This is Season 4 of For the Love of Duluth. In the heart of Duluth's Lincoln Park neighborhood sits a place unlike any other in the Northland, a folk school dedicated to teaching local new skills from modern practical skills to traditional artistry. While folk schools can be found all over the world, there is no other folk school in the immediate Duluth area and no other spot in the Northland quite as committed to the company it keeps. Located along Superior Street, the Duluth Folk School was founded in 2016 with an emphasis on handcrafting, gatherings, and art. These events are more than just classes to attend when you want to learn something new. They help foster relationship within the community while encouraging attendees to imagine, create, and connect with other like-minded Northlanders. If this doesn't sound like your ordinary everyday school, that's because it is not. The Duluth Folk School has no grades and no competition. With small class sizes and teachers from the area, ensuring you get the the most authentically Duluth experience possible. From making your own herbal remedies to restoring old canoes, there's something for all Duluthians at the Duluth Folk School. The founders of the Duluth Folk School didn't stop there, though. They kept going and growing with another spot that dishes up an authentic Duluth experience in an entirely different way. Dovetail Cafe and Marketplace is the partner project of Duluth Folk School, a casual cafe serving up handcrafted food and delicious coffee and crisp brews. Dovetail is another place locals can gather, whether to sip on java and read a book or to catch up on an open mic night. It's also a marketplace offering a space for consigners to sell items from the area, once again fostering those community connections. Together, these two spots have also housed small businesses we know by name today, offering a stepping stone in their journey to the success stories they are now. These two incredible places were born out of passion, and one of the people behind them is here with us today, Carmel de Mayoribus. <laughs> I'm not sure I said that right, Carmel. Can you pronounce it for us? De Mayoribus. You said it just fine. Oh, good. <laughs> So Carmel is the co-founder of Duluth Folk School in Dovetail. Born in Wisconsin, she lived all over the country before attending grad school at the University of Minnesota Duluth and has since planted roots here and has probably taught people how to do some planting of their own as well. So here to talk about all things crafting, food, and community is Carmel. 
Carmel, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. So you were born in Madison, Wisconsin. Can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing, your childhood? Sure. Although I was born in Madison, my dad was in the military, so I only lived there for a year. Okay. And other than that, I grew up all over the U.S., moving um, every year two or three. Well, that's interesting. So your dad was in the military. So you mentioned Madison. You were born in Madison. I was just in Madison this last weekend, actually, because my youngest son uh, graduated there. And so we went to commencement at Camp Randall. And um, I, I love that town. But you left when you were a year old. So you probably don't have lots of memories of Madison. I do not. Although one of my kids did go there for school. And so I did get to know it again. You've gone to commencement. So, so how, how old's your kid? Old. They are approaching... F- 40. Oh, okay. So they would have they would have missed the, the, the jump around, which they do now. That became a tradition at football games. And so now they do it at commencement as well. And it's oh. quite a scene. You've got about <laughs> 7,500 graduates sitting on the field of the football stadium and about 45,000, you know, friends and family members. And they're all doing the jump around, which is kind of a, a fun, crazy, <laughs> crazy scene. But anyway, your dad was in the military. Mm-hmm. And so what, what did your dad do in the military? He was a meteorologist. He was a meteorologist. Okay. And and so as a lot of children from uh, people whose uh, parents served in the armed forces, you're moving around constantly. And you said every, almost every year? Every year or two, sometimes three. Now, was that, was that, did you find that kind of hard? Because you're, you're just mm-hmm. sort of just making roots, especially as a kid trying to go through school. And then all of a sudden, well, now you're the new kid again at the next school. Right. It It's hard being the new kid, but fun to get to travel around the country. Right. Our family became close because we had nobody else for a long time. Right, right. What what were some of the other places you lived as a child? Uh, As a child, I lived in California and in Alabama, Massachusetts. Holy cow. um, Virginia, the state of Virginia. What uh, branch did your father serve in? The Air Force. The Air Force. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I assume was were you generally moving to places that were connected to an Air Force base in that area? In general, yes. Okay. Well, that's some fun places you you lived at. So ultimately, where did you wind up going to high school? Or was that also a few different places? It was in a couple of different places. The state of Virginia and Illinois. (laughs) And Illinois. Did you graduate in Illinois or Virginia? Illinois. Okay. And then you went to school in South Bend. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, the school I'm familiar with in South Bend is is Notre Dame. Is that where you went? That is. Okay. Interesting. So you went to Notre Dame. So were you a football fan there or were you kind of anti the football? I was neither. I was agnostic. Is, you were agnostic. <laughs> well, well, anyway, you got your degree in electrical engineering, which is not one of these degrees that they just hand out to anyone. You actually have to take a lot of math classes mm-hmm. for that. So I'm, I'm kind of amazed. My dad taught math at, at, well, we moved around a little bit too, but he was at the University of Minnesota. Then we wound up moving to Albany, New York, and he was a math professor there. I did not get any of those math genes. So I'm always amazed that people could go and and take this curriculum loaded with math. And you were a woman, and probably at that time, there weren't a ton of other women in the electrical engineering program at Notre Dame. True. In fact, I think that was only maybe the fourth year that women were allowed at Notre Dame. Isn't that, so a, that oh, a allowed at Notre Dame? At Notre and Dame. So were there any other electrical engineers, in, um, women? A couple others. Wow. 
Wow. What made you decide to go into electrical well, engineering? I'll ask that. Then I'll ask my next question. I love math and science and figuring things out and solving problems. I also love education and they didn't have an education program. So really, I, I chose engineering. Oh, interesting. So you knew you wanted to go to Notre Dame. You just weren't sure. That's, man, I would have chose teaching. Holy cow. Not less math. But sorry, I'm a political science major. So what the heck do I know? So did you go into electrical engineering after you, you got your degree in it? I did for a short while, but then I moved and uh, took a different path. What was your first job out of school? It was consulting engineering. Oh. Um, as a consulting um, electrical engineering for contractors and architects. In Indiana or did you move? This was in Ohio. Ohio, okay. My, I happened to um, marry somebody who was also in the military. Because you just oh, wanted to move. You to wanted move. to move. Some, right. Wow. Okay. So, well, I'm not going to feel sorry for you because you knew what you were getting into. <laughs> you can't say, oh, I had no idea we were going to have to move around a lot. So so now you're moving. So where, where are you kind of moving to and I you might be wondering well what does this have to do with folk school but I we always talk about the journey we always want to hear the journey about how people wound up in Duluth and then okay. and how they get there so sure we moved to Texas and Hawaii and Kentucky Hawaii. and Ohio I mean a lot of several places yeah Hawaii had to be kind of nice it was wonderful yeah do you ever get back there now I've been back once yeah you know it's a it's a long my fiance and I went to to Maui this last October. It was it was great, except it's a long trip to get there. And of course, I got COVID. And oh, uh, no. despite being quadruple vaxxed, <laughs> somehow oh, managed to get COVID. But I'm sorry. But no, that, no, that's okay. That's okay. I was in Hawaii. If you're going to have COVID, Hawaii is not a bad place to have it. So now you're moving around a lot. So tell me how you went from moving around a lot, Hawaii, these other states, you wound up in Duluth. So how did that happen? My husband ended his career with the Air Force, and we did not want to be south. And Duluth is pretty much not south. It's not south. No one's ever going to accuse Duluth of being south. True. Yeah. And so we took a leap and came here. We didn't know anybody here. Oh, so he wasn't. No he, his last stop wasn't no. Duluth. He wasn't with the the National Guard or anything here. He was. So you literally just put a dot in the map and say, let's mm -hmm. let's go here. Did you know anyone anyone here? Um, actually, uh, there was one person from the Air Force that we did know, but we didn't know it at the time. Oh, really? It was here. So you just, and, and where were you immediately before you moved to Duluth? Texas. Texas. Okay. Wow. Okay. So what we're calling our fourth season now doing this podcast, and I don't think we've had anyone who moved to Duluth from Texas without having any connection to Duluth before. So when was that that you moved? In 99. 99. Okay. So you've, Quite been, a while. you've been here a long time. So you must kind of like it. I love it. Okay. All right. All right. Good. Good. We do too. Hence, hence, <laughs> hence the name of our podcast. You are in Duluth and then you go to grad school here. Mm -hmm. And what'd you go to grad school for? For um, education, a master's in education. You finally got your education yeah, degree because they have an education. Okay. Right. So did you teach then? I did not teach. I ended up doing a lot of research. Okay. Here in, in town, mm -hmm. who did you wind up working for just on your own? Just on my own. Okay, cool. Very interested in education and then especially non-formal education. Yeah, that's my favorite kind of education is a non-formal <laughs> type. There's, there's less pressure. Right. <laughs> less grades. Right. Yeah. So 
now we're we're in Duluth. You've got your grad degree in education. You're doing uh, you're doing consulting. You're you're doing research. And so now take us to the folk school and how you got involved in that. I've always loved the idea of having a community hub where people can share ideas and knowledge and skills. And uh, my two partners had been talking about it as well. We happened to connect actually at a folk school class, one of the early ones. Um, and and it took off from there. Your partner's names are? Tim and Brian. Okay. And Brian is, has moved on, but Tim is still with me. <laughs> okay. All right. So you said you met at a folk school class, but not, not this folk school because you hadn't founded it yet, had you? We had just, it was being founded. We were kind of experimenting with classes and seeing how they would go. And that's where you met Brian and Tim. Mm-hmm was at one of these early classes, but you were all sort of forming this idea. What kind of class did you take? It was a felting class. Felt Felting class. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not an arts and crafts person at all. I'm just terrible. I don't do any of these things. You need to scra- come to the folk school. I, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I'd probably be more interested in hanging the sheet, your hanging sheetrock classes. But what is felting? Uh, it's where you take wool and you agitate it with water and soap to make a matted product. So a lot of the felt that you're familiar with has been felted. Oh, okay. Um, so uh, that makes sense. That makes that sense, felted. right? Correct. Otherwise it wouldn't be felt, I suppose. Correct. Yeah. Well, that, see, uh, this is this whole thing, this is informal education. This is how I learn. That's right. Because <laughs> I, I start with a very, very, very tiny infinitesimal base of knowledge and then people just add out of that knowledge and then I, I don't have a big capacity for knowledge. So some of the stuff that I knew before <laughs> leaves my brain and now I know about felting, and I don't know what else I've just forgot. But That's now felting's in the mind. You met at uh, at this felting workshop, and you're already sort of bouncing ideas off mm-hmm. about about a folk school. Had you been to other folk schools? No, but I've read about them. Yes, okay. Them. Okay, because the one that I was familiar with was the one up in Grand Marais, because I know some people have gone up there to take various classes, most relating to cabins, either building a cabin or redoing a cabin or something like that. So you're talking with Brian and Tim about forming a folk school. Mm -hmm. So what are we talking? What years are we talking about right now? Um, 2016. 16. Okay, 2016. So you're talking and then so so what what do you do? What are your first steps? Well, they had been planning it and had already come up with a business plan and we ended up making it work. We hauled all of our tools and equipment in bins from the back of our car and rented places here and there um, at Hartley Nature Center and Lester Chalet and a building in Lincoln Park and hauled all of our bins to the classroom and then had the class and hauled them all out. All right. So so I'm going to stop you there because if I hauled out all the tools I had in my car, it'd be like a tire (laughs) iron. It'd be a tire iron and maybe a screwdriver in there somewhere. So you've already had a lot of tools. Were you already kind of a, do you do a lot of hands-on stuff and crafts or stuff like that? I do a lot of hands-on stuff, but I don't do a lot of woodworking. But that's where my partner, Tim, especially comes in. He's a big woodworker. And so, and what what are you? If he's a woodworker, what are you? I do a lot of things with fabric Okay. Um, and gardening and cooking and paper. Okay. And, pa- and paper. Mm-hmm. What do you do with paper? Well, all kinds of things, it turns out. Like um, origami is a, the well-known, but Real, yeah. very cool. So you, you know how to do origami. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, but that's very cool. So you're all bringing this stuff and you realize, well, this is kind of a hassle because we're bringing all our stuff to this place and we have to go bring it all back to these other places where the three of you had tools in different places or there were other people who were doing things that might also be involved in the folk school once it gets off the ground. Well, sometimes instructors would bring tools. Right. Um, but no, it was mostly us bringing things. Most, from, yeah. That you just had stored at various places. Correct. In our houses, usually yeah. in our cars. Right. So 2016. So you don't have a place yet. You've sort of got a business plan. You formed, did you actually form a business then? A, yes. A LLC or something yes. like that. So you formed an LLC, put some money together to, to get this off the ground, and then you, you bought a building, right? We bought a building in Lincoln Park, which is where we wanted to be, right on the bus line. Right. That's really cool. And also in the part of a kind of a, a really growing craft, it's probably the best place you could possibly have been for a, a folk school, yes. right? Yes. And it, that was at the very beginnings of its growth. Right, right. Right. You had had Frost River. You had had just what else was 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 OMC, OMC had, had just opened. opened. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Corktown had probably just. Not yet, but not, it was coming. Coming. And... Okay. So you bought, you bought this building. It was, a, you guys had formed an LLC. So the LLC bought the building. And at that point was it a for-profit LLC or it a non-profit? Was. Okay. It was a for-profit. You get this thing off the ground and I remember going there. I haven't taken classes there, but I've gone to the Dovetail and it's delicious, great food, great coffee, and a cool space, just a really cool space. But then you're kind of opening up and just getting things sort of figured out and then COVID hits. Oh, yes. <laughs> so how did you, well, let me back up a step because I've kind of jumped ahead to the part where things are growing and you're, you've gotten this thing off the ground because it was, I, I recall, it was pretty well received, right? You guys started getting nice. your classes filled up and you had a lot of stuff in that space. It was, there was a lot of cool stuff because I remember <laughs> going there pre, pre-COVID and it was already a really cool spot. So how did you get it moving so quick from buying this building? How long a process was that to buying the building to really getting things up it and running? It took a couple of years of renovating because we did most of it ourselves. I did mostly demo and hauling trash out. And friends and volunteers, we had great community support for it. It was really felt great to have so many people helping out with it. What was in there? I mean, I know the building is old. It's had a lot of different mm -hmm. businesses in there, but what was there when you guys bought it? A call center. Oh, a call center. Right. Okay. Interesting. And it had a, a bad feeling because <laughs> it was all... Um, closed off. They had blocked the, the windows with light blocking drapes and then another wall of sheetrock just in case any light came in. Really? Um, and a dropped ceiling and everything was red, bright red and bright blue and navy blue carpet glued to the floor. So so there's a lot, a lot to do. There was a lot to do. I can't think of two more different businesses than a folk school <laughs> and a call center. <laughs> so it's amazing. It is a testament to just the idea of space, that you can take space that has been used for something completely different and just imagine that space is, is something else and then getting it there. And so uh, it, I'm always amazed because I don't have any of that imagination. I'm just not a, a really a spatial thinker like that. So like that was one of the things that was really hard when we, we had a fire in our business and then to 
try to figure out another space, you know, and I can see plans and stuff, but it's, I, I can't really picture things the way that they're going to be until they're actually there. I, I'd make a terrible designer probably for that <laughs> very reason, because <laughs> someone would ask me, well, can you design this and uh, to look like this? I say, I have no idea what it's going to look like. I have no idea what you're even thinking or what I'm thinking, because I can't think that way. But you did, and you 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 came up with this. So a couple years, two years, you're actually working on this space. So you're not, are you doing lessons at the same time, doing classes at the same time? As soon as we got occupancy from the fire marshal, yes. And we would do demolition and building by day and sweep up and dust and bring the tables out and teach classes um, by night. Wow. <laughs> so it was So this was ongoing fun. then. So this was, was ongoing. So did you buy the building in 2016 or 2017? Okay. So you're, holy cow. So you're, you're doing this demo, but also some classes. You got your certificate of occupancy. And so you're doing that for really you get done about 2019 then? 18 actually. 2018. Okay. Right. So now you're up and running. You've got your new space. You're up and running. And, uh, and then you're up and running for about what, a year and a half or so and then COVID hits and, and we're going to take a quick break right there and we're going to hear from our sponsor Lake Superior Medical Equipment and uh, as soon as uh, we're done uh, with that we will come right back. Lake Superior Medical Equipment is proud to announce some big news. They have opened two brand new locations. Nearly eight months after the fire destroyed their Duluth store and warehouse, the team at Lake Superior Medical Equipment has bounced back bigger and better than ever with a new storefront at 4730 Mike Colaleo Drive in Duluth. The new store is located in the lower level of the Bullion Center with more parking and a great new layout. That's not all. Lake Superior Medical Equipment has also moved their store in Cloquet. Customers can now shop at their brand new location at 907 Stanley Avenue, just a few doors down from their old store. Something that hasn't changed? The amazing customer service you have come to expect from Lake Superior Medical Equipment. Our friendly staff is ready and waiting to help you find everything you need in our two brand new locations in Duluth and Cloquet. Stop in and see the friendly staff at Lake Superior Medical Equipment today. Have a question? Give them a call at 218-727-0600 or visit them online at lsmedequip.com. In the meantime, keep up with everything happening at Lake Superior Medical Equipment on social media. Just search for Lake Superior Medical Equipment on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. We are back with Carmel, and I'm going to butcher her name, but I'm going to give it a try. Demor... No, I'm just going to have you say it. Demayoribus. <laughs> Demayoribus. All right. And we are talking about the Duluth Folk School, and you are located in the heart of Lincoln Park, the Lincoln Craft District, I guess they call it. But anyway, when we left, we were talking about the fact that you had gotten this folk school up and running through a great amount of blood and sweat and tears. You uh, you were just getting it really going and uh, sort of finding your sea legs. And that was in 2018, 2019, and then in March of 
2020 kind of the world changes and yes. and COVID hit. So tell us a little bit about how COVID impacted you and the folk school. Well, it shut both of us down. <laughs> Everything just shut down. And that was hard, but it was a shared burden by the entire world. Mm-hmm. So it didn't feel personal, mm-hmm. which was good. And it actually gave us, it had been so hectic up to that point that it gave us a chance to sort of breathe and, and reconsider things, which was needed. It was so much so fast. Right. Um, so, and then eventually we uh, were able to, well, most of our staff ended up leaving because we couldn't pay them. We weren't open. Right, and, right. Um, and then we, we decided to reopen. We rehired and it was it was a, a lot of work. It was like starting over for the cafe. How many people did you have on staff before COVID hit? We had almost 30. Almost 30. Wow. Part-time and, and some full-time, some right. part-time. Wow. Right. Did you get any help from PPP? Oh, yes. Those funding mechanisms really helped us. Yeah. We would not probably not be here without that. It was super helpful. You know, I've talked to so many business owners and whether they're Republicans or Democrats, they all sing the praises of that PPP and how it really gave them a lifeline to keep people on staff. So it was uh, it's it's kind of amazing. But in a lot of cases, uh, it wasn't enough. Right. And and it just it just wasn't enough to be able to keep everyone employed when you're out of business. You guys had to sort of start over. You had your space, though. You had your space built out. And so I want to just step back a little bit because we've sort of haven't talked enough about Dovetail because Dovetail and the folk school, obviously they're connected to the same building, but those are those are two very different businesses. So was there one of you of, uh, of the three founders, was there one of you that was more instrumental in Dovetail or more focused on Dovetail? Yes, and that would have been me. That was you. Okay. Right. All right. So now I'm very interested in how you, I think we've talked a little bit about how you wound up getting involved in the folk school, but what made you think that you could open up, uh, you know, a restaurant and coffee and, and a cafe? Right. Probably a lack of brains. No, because no, because I've been there and it it's was. fabulous. Thank you, buddy. It, yeah. Um, well, it was part of the, they are two separate businesses, but um, part of the mission of the folk school is community building and nothing brings people together like food and drink. And so we were originally going to have a coffee pot and a plate of cookies and it kind of spiraled out of control. And so we ended up with a full on cafe. So how how soon did it become a cafe once you sort of opened the folk school? How quick did you realize, you know what, we're going to we're going to do a cafe here? We started thinking about that pretty, pretty early on. And they said that's then and they said, we're thinking about it. But Carmel, you're going to do it. Well, I wasn't fast enough to touch my nose. And yeah. <laughs> um, yes, I foolishly said, okay, I'll take on that piece of it. Right, um, right. Okay. So you've got everything going. COVID hits, you pause. So then what happened? What did you do? I, I do, I read somewhere that you decided to transition to a nonprofit status. We did. And that was another thing that we thought about in during that pause um, was becoming a nonprofit, which we probably should have been from the beginning. Um, education doesn't make money, but we thought we could be good citizens and pay our taxes and also make um, quick decisions as an LLC, which was true. But being a nonprofit enabled us to go after different funding sources right, um, right, more sure. easily and people wanted to volunteer. Right. And so and as a nonprofit. grants, for instance. Right. And, yeah. And yeah. people can volunteer and help us out. And, right. And people feel better about 
about um, a, a nonprofit. So right. now we have a board and that was a great, it's been a, a really great transition. It was a little bit more tricky than I thought it would be, but we have a, a phenomenal board. I really appreciate it. And it's great having all those other perspectives and voices um, to add to the conversation for the folk school. Well, that's really, that's, that's really cool. So when did you reopen after COVID? It was in late summer, probably. So we shut down in March and I think we reopened in August. So you reopened in August, but August of 2020? Correct. So you were you were shut down for maybe about five months or something mm-hmm. like that, but you were certainly up and running before vaccines, before, so everyone just kind of masked up and uh, social distanced. and A lot of plexiglass and a lot of, um, you know, keep your distance. Yeah, but you, you survived and you figured it out like a lot of businesses did. I say business generically, meaning businesses both for-profit and, and not-for-profit just sort of figured things out. It was a different world. How long did it take you to sort of get back to like the way things were in terms of attendance to classes? And did Dovetail reopen right away? Dovetail reopened in August as well. Um, and we are still not back. It feels good, but um, it's been quite a it's been quite a journey. A lot of staffing issues for the cafe. Um, and on the folk school side, we have a lot of um, instructors and participants that are pretty sensible and careful, and they were not anxious to come back into a classroom setting right away. Yeah. So we started that very slowly, and the classes probably took quite a bit longer. Um, we reduced class sizes and tried to hold them in bigger areas, but it took a while. Right. And so you're still not quite back to... Not, not quite, quite you know, there's just about. You know, there's definitely still a segment of the population that's, that's still pretty reluctant. And, uh, you know, and I know that because I've got not immediately f- immediate family members, but uh, some of their extended family, and there's one or two that are just still deathly afraid of, of the virus. And, you know, that's probably just going to be the way it is for a while. And there's reason, I guess, to be nervous about it. But at some point, you got to, you know, life life has to go on too. So at least that's why I got all my shots. But hopefully uh, it, things are slowly coming back to normal. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. I mean, yeah. they're practically there. Yeah, because I, I, I go to the dovetail from time to time and get coffee and I'm, I'm never the only ones in there. So, so there, I know there's, <laughs> other peop- there's other people in there. And I also know things are going well enough for the folk school that you guys are thinking about expanding. So Correct. there was that great, uh, in fact, that's what really got us thinking about bringing someone from the folk school on was the, the article in the Duluth News Tribune that was back oh. in April, I think, something like that. Sure, yes. And uh, you were pictured in that uh, <laughs> and quoted heavily. Tell us about uh, these expansion plans and how you wound up thinking about even expanding. Yeah, well, we were always going to have a rural campus if possible. We wanted to be urban because we wanted to be accessible to as many people as possible. But obviously, there are a lot of things we can't do in our space. The fire marshal frowns on having a, you know, doing blacksmithing in the middle of a building. Right. So we don't do that. We want to do things like blacksmithing and collecting sap for, for making maple syrup and doing gardening and timber framing and building canoes, things that need more room or should be outside. So talk a little bit about 
about what those plans are and what you're envisioning for this rural campus. And I assume you're still trying to acquire land for this rural campus. We are. So anytime anybody knows of land that looks like it might work, we always appreciate them contacting us. We are looking for something within 30 minutes of Lincoln Park, if possible. And our dream is to have enough land to have trails and so we can do sleigh rides and um, have bonfires and we would have a, you know, a woodworking building and a building for fiber arts and um, sugar bush and orchards and all kinds of things. So that is a dream. So have you gotten close? We've gotten a lot of, um, a lot of, a lot of close, but nothing that has worked just right. Yeah. Um, And we aren't waiting for that. We are, we have a brand new executive director, which we are so excited about. And Um, what's her name? Sarah Erickson. And she will be full-time this summer. And so she is chomping at the bit to get going. And we are going to expand our programming immediately with her. Her background is in education. Um, Same as you. She's done a lot of education. She's got a phenomenal background. And recently she was working with the Love Your Block grant. So she's done, she's done a lot of things. Cool. Cool. That's very, very exciting. So you've got the Duluth Folk School, you've got Dovetail, and now you're thinking about expanding and you're bringing in a new executive director. That's that's a lot. That's a lot of stuff going on for uh, a thing that was just sort of this germ of an idea with the three of you just not that many years ago. And then somehow you've gone from that little germ of an idea, got through COVID, having to shut everything down through COVID, and now you're back through the other end and you're already thinking about expansion and and hiring an executive director. So that's pretty cool. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> it's very exciting. So there's a couple things that I wanted to, when I was Googling you that I was that I saw. And one of them, it's not on your website now, but somehow I was able to find it. And I, there's just something about your background. This is on your board of directors site. And it said, uh, referring to you, it said her experiences with education and community and her unfolksy background in engineering and martial arts make her a great addition to the team. Now, we've talked about your engineering background, but what is, what's your martial arts background. Yeah, we really need to take that off of there. I I love martial arts and I actually took classes from the MKG gym, which is right across the street from where we're talking. Um, and it's I fell in love with uh, the elegance of of that workout. So a lot of Whoa. kickboxing and stick work. Holy cow. Okay, so what what are the types of martial arts that you are learning? I or? no longer have time for it, sadly. Well, what were you doing? But it was uh, Muay Thai. Okay, was uh, probably the majority. It's kind of Jeet Kune Do, which is sort of a mix of all kinds of martial arts. How did take, you How did you get into that? Well, probably like so many parents trying to find a way to um for uh, one of my kids to settle down and and find something. And so then I was taking him and watching, and I'm like, hmm. That looks pretty cool. Our warehouse manager is a huge karate guy. I think he's more kind of... I don't know if it's traditional, but Taekwondo, I think. Sure. But uh, very into that, and and I know lots of uh, lots of parents that I knew when my kids were growing up. Man, they had uh, there were a lot of kids in martial arts. It's fun stuff, and the instructor, if the instructor is good, 
they can really um, help those kids focus on self-improvement. And it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was really cool. Anyway, I, I just I saw that. And I thought, well, that's really cool. You're not teaching martial arts at the folk school. Not right now. No. Not right now, but maybe, oh, maybe well. when you get your bigger campus. There you go. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We always, because uh, this is for the Love of Duluth podcast, we're always kind of interested in what people like to do in Duluth when they're not doing whatever activity it is that brought them to this podcast. So what do you, what do you, you've been here since 99. Now you're, right. you're almost a died in the wool Duluthian. So what do you like to do? Probably like everybody else. I like to be in the woods and I like to yeah. go to the lake. It's such an amazing thing. When we moved here, I remember people saying, oh, we just, you know, did you get a place that had a tree? And I'm from Texas. Right, I'm like, right. Oh yeah. More than a tree. Yeah. It's just, there's just pockets of magic everywhere. And right. it's just beautiful. Yeah, that's what Yvonne and I always talk about is that obviously the lake, but you can be in the woods on a beautiful trail, often next to waterfalls and, and in just minutes, uh, almost from wherever you are in Duluth. And it just really makes this place unique. Yes. I mean, one of the things, I guess, that makes it unique. So you're just, uh, you're out in the woods and you're, or you're by the lake. Yeah, that's really cool. Are you kind of done with all your traveling? Did you have enough of that growing up or do you still... Do you still get outside of Duluth sometimes? I, I, since opening the folk school and Dovetail, I have not done much traveling, but I still would love to travel, but probably not move. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, we were just we were just saying that uh, as well, because we moved not only our Duluth store, the one that burned down at Lake Superior Medical Equipment, but we also have a store in Cloquet. We just moved that two weeks after we moved into our new Duluth one. So it's, uh, I'm with you, no more moves. That's like, that's my mantra. Carmel, I heard that there was a movie that was filmed at Dovetail. Can you tell us about that? Yes, I'm not sure how much of it is out, but for two days we had to shut down while the the film crew was in and around our building. And well, the thing that really struck me was how bad the fake snow looked from the outside perspective. And they waited till May when we had no snow and used some kind of fake looking stuff that probably will look great in the movie. That really struck me. (laughs) Yeah, I never figured that out either because, you know, they did that for uh, Mary Kiss Camp. You know, you've got about eight months of winter in Duluth. You know, why don't, if you want snow, shoot it then, right? It's the one thing in Duluth. We got lots of that. We got lots of fresh water and lots of snow and uh but instead right right but instead they want to come here when there's no snow and then they have to create snow so it was funny that's pretty cool so you got some some well you'll have some free publicity but you also probably did did you get some business out of that don't the crews need to like get for refreshments they, they and beverages do a lot of catering for the crews. yeah yeah that's so true we that's did get true. a little bit we well, got good. a little bit well good good well it's um i tell you what duluth is a richer place for having the folk school and Dovetail Cafe. And uh, you've been such a good sport for coming and spending time with us. We're so happy that you made it here. And and, uh, and we're so happy that uh, the Duluth Folk School is here in Duluth. Best of luck with your expansion plans. And um, I hope that's the only uh, next move you have in your future. <laughs> me too. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of For the Love of Duluth. Season 1, 2, and 3 are available now wherever you get your podcasts. All you have to do is search for For the Love of Duluth. Have a minute to spare? Leave a five-star review and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. We hope you are loving Season 4 so far. 
We'll see you next time for another brand new episode of For the Love of Duluth.